Hey, Razib, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, uh, how about yourself? I'm just busy, as usual, so, you know, no complaints. Sounds good. Uh, so, yeah, let's jump into it. I wanted to talk to you about this issue. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, the issue that's on everybody's mind, which is, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the elections in Peru. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, um, so, uh, Razib Khan, uh, expert on genetics, uh, I'm, I'm curious about the, uh, the genetics with regard to the population groups in the Israel region, Israel, Egypt, uh, the West Bank, Gaza, um, uh, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, so um, there's a variety of ways you can, like, uh, analyze this stuff. Like, the two primary ones is looking at the genetics of the modern populations and then looking at the genetics of the ancient populations. You couldn't really compare the, um, them to the ancient population until relatively recently uh, just because the forensic methods that allow that are relatively new. Uh, but now you can do it, and over the last 10 years, we do have a fair amount of DNA from the ancient Middle East, um, and we have a fair amount of DNA, obviously, now. Uh, from the modern Middle East. So, so, um, so what are the can, what are the yeah. forensic methods that? Um, um, let's get a little bit ner nerdy for a second. What are the forensic methods that improved? Yeah, uh, so there is a lot of uh, I call it bench biology uh, wizardry with clean rooms uh, that I am not um, very personally conversant in because I'm more of a computational guy. But just uh, for example, um, one simple issue that the the, um, uh, the paleogeneticists, forensic genomist people uh, had to figure out was uh, a contamination with modern people that are actually handling the DNA, mm. or handling the ancient DNA. So some right. of the early papers from the 1990s uh, are wrong because it looks like they amplified the DNA of the lab workers. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they have ways to ways to like you know figure that out uh more concretely now so here's one thing that this is very primitive and you know it's better now than this but um you know there was one lab i heard where they had a chinese lab tech and this was doing ancient european work and so they would have the chinese lab tech um do all the handling because there was any contamination it would be really obvious Oh, um, if, if it was someone, it was. I think this was at Max Planck. Uh, if there was someone from Germany who did it, well, there'd be a question because they would be kind of similar to the ancient sample, possibly, uh, whether it was contamination or not. So that's one thing. Another thing, um, this is much more technical, is um, there's a certain way that um, some of the base pairs, so a DNA is A, C, G, and T. These are the base pairs that encode the information. There's some of there's particular ways that those base pairs systematically tend to degrade. Um, mutate's not the right word because we use that in the context of living organisms. But basically, you know, the chemicals become damaged, uh, the structure is damaged, so it's damaged DNA. And um, you can tell it's ancient versus modern based on the damage. So if there is no signature of damage uh, in the chemical structure, well, I mean, something's going on because, you know, you have a 10,000-year-old sample. So there are a variety of ways to check to make sure that it is actually an ancient sample. Um, another thing that's going on here is uh, now that we have huge, huge like uh, computational frameworks to slip through the data, analyze it, sift it, um, you know, you can figure out 
that automatically, if it's matching someone in the database we already have, which it shouldn't because those are modern people, or if it's totally different. Right. And so one thing that they find out is like, especially older stuff from say two, three, four, five thousand, and especially like ten thousand years ago, uh, they don't match anybody in the databases. Their genetic makeup is totally different. So um, concretely, uh, you know, if you look at someone from France ten thousand years ago, there's no person alive in the modern data sets that would match this French person. Um, we have enough DNA now. All of those people are very, very distinct. Uh, from the modern people. And so we have what you would call like prior expectations framework to, to set things up in, which we didn't really have 10 or 15 years ago because we had no ancient DNA. So initially it was very, very cautious. And now we have kind of a system where you can set people, um, you know, slot people in. So there's certain expectations um, with the Middle Eastern stuff that you're talking about. Um, we know how they're going to differ from the modern populations and how they're going to be similar from the modern populations because, you know, we have work going back to like 2017. Um, well, 2017 was really, really when they started doing a lot of Levant DNA work. Mark Haber in England was doing a lot of that, but there's some older stuff uh, with really, really old samples. Um, I think for the questions about the Middle East right now, you're more interested in samples that are, say, 5,000 years old as opposed to 10,000 years old, but you know, they're all useful. Why? Why is that? Uh, because the 10,000-year-old samples are from a time period where the populations were very, very different. And so it's kind of hard to relate them to modern populations, even though they are ancestral. Uh, can you explain that some more? What do you mean they're very yeah. different? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so you look at um, – so, for example, there are these uh, samples that you have from northern Syria. They look like to be like northern Natufians. So the Natufians were the first agriculturalists. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they're – they're like by Gobeli Tepe, like a little to the south of them. They're northern Natufian, right? So they're these like first agriculturalists, these first farmers. And then you have samples from the Zagros Mountains that are in, um, you know, modern-day Kurdistan, uh, Western Iran. And so this, these regions are not too far away. They're both Middle East right now, et cetera, et cetera. But when they first looked at the samples from, and like this is actually like 12,000 years, I should be specific. Yeah. So the Ice Age ends 11,700 years ago. So it's around like 12,000 years, right at the end of the Ice Age. Um, these samples... The first farmers, so the Zagros Mountains, they uh, they seem to have done like some sort of like, you know, a little bit of pastoralist goat herding first before they did real real agriculture. Uh, they probably have adopted the goat herding from the Natufians, but in any case, um, so there are these two populations, the eastern and the western, and when they looked at them um, initially, uh, what they found is they were very very genetically different, much more genetically different than the modern populations in the region. Hmm. So the western and uh, so the genetic difference there is like what you can do is. You can count up the so there are um, an average human genome has uh, about five million SNPs, which is single nucleotide polymorphisms. These are variable positions in the three billion base pairs of the genome. And so what you can do is like count up the differences, and when you count up the differences, that gives you a genetic distance, right? Um, so what I'm going to tell you is like you know just when you count up the differences, the differences between the eastern and western farmers. Uh, well, the Easterners were not really farmers or mostly goat herders, but set that aside. Let's call it like the Natufians and the Zygrosians. Okay. These two populations are as genetically different when you compare their genomes as a modern Chinese person from a modern German person. Oh, so they're very, okay. very different. And th this is this is probably because in you know the days of yore, hunter-gatherers were probably low population density, very isolated. They became genetically distinct from each other, probably low levels of intermarriage uh, just because they're, you know, obviously they're not like probably like world religions or anything like that during the foraging period. So they're very xenophobic. And so they kept to themselves. What you see in the Middle East over the last 10,000 years, especially up until about like 
say like 5,000 years ago, um, you know, it was kind of done by the Uruk period of Mesopotamia, um, which is between like 4,000, 5,000 BC, or 4,000 and 3,000 BC, um, is there's a massive east-west population exchange. You see, quote, eastern ancestry start to show up in Syria, and you see western ancestry start to show up in Iran, and so it's like massive amounts of gene flow and mixture. Okay. Probably this is mediated by trade and other things like that. Um, that have been happening since the emergence of cities and civilizations and all these things. So when you look at modern populations in the region, they're actually on the whole genetically much closer than the ancient populations, even if they're recombined from the ancient populations. So for example, during the Bronze Age, um, you know, the Canaanites, we have Canaanite samples from Sidon uh, in southern uh, Lebanon from 1800 BC, they're like 40%, 50% Eastern, 40 percent 50 percent western and the rest is like other assorted little things like anatolian farmer or something like that mm -hmm. um, whereas if you went back five thousand years earlier it would be overwhelmingly western in that region like 80 to 90 percent western farmer in Atupia, right okay yeah interesting yeah. so the more recent um <clears throat> the more recent record shows us what when we when we look at the the genetic makeup of let's say uh well, something we need to explain to to uh, people who may not know is that uh, obviously with the discourse that we've been seeing recently over um, over the conflict as it's broken out, I've seen a lot of people talk about Israel as if as if they're all white, as if they're all Ashkenazim. Um, can you explain why that's yeah. false? Yeah, I mean, like, this is this is a very strange thing to talk about because. Um, there's some things like I'm talking about, like, okay, like you compare like the 5 million markers and all this genomic stuff. Uh, but anyone who goes to Israel and knows Israelis uh, knows this is retarded. Yeah. Right? Uh, because like, uh, yeah. like I, so I, you know, I mean, um, like I'm, I'm too dark to be a typical Israeli, but people have said that they have met, you know, Yemeni Jews. Oh, there are Indian Jews, actually. So set that aside. But there are Yemeni Jews that are as brown as me in Israel. They're like hundreds of thousands of Yemeni Jews, and most of them are like, you know, olives complected. Some of them are quite brown. Um, so as you know, oh yeah, one uh, of my really good yeah, friends is is um, he's Israeli. He's he's uh, uh, David actually is his name, and he's significantly darker than you are. He's um, and you know his whole family is. It's not it's not that uncommon. Uh, it, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't know if so, people, it seems as if people don't realize that, that Israel is is racially as diverse as like the United States or something. I mean, you have everything. You've, yeah, you've got yeah, Chinese, yeah, you know, I mean, I say, you've so, got, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't want to say like racially necessarily because whatever that means, but right, ethnically, fair. Israel is arguably the most diverse country in the world. We don't think about it that way because all the Jews are considered Jews. But, you know, as you know, something like of the Jews, about half of them uh, are European Jews mm. that are Ashkenazi, about half, probably less than half now, but um, we can get into like how that's like hard to count now. And then the other half derives from non-European Jews, which includes obviously a lot of Moroccans, a lot of Yemenis, a lot of Iraqis. Um, there are people from Bukhara, uh, Kurdistan, Azerbaijan. So all of these Muslim countries, all of these Arab countries in particular, um, these Jews, they left in the 1950s due to the expulsions, the ethnic cleansing. And um, I think the issue here that's going on here is American Jews are 90% Ashkenazi. Um, they're European Jews. They do not have family connections to the non-Ashkenazi Jews. So those people 
do not exist for them mentally in a way. So most Ashkenazi Jews in the world do not live in Israel, even though a lot do. There's still a lot of them in the United States, obviously, still a lot in Russia. Right, right. You know, about half the Jews and like 40% of the Jews in France are Ashkenazi. Most of them in England or like vast majority in England are Ashkenazi, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're talking about the non-Ashkenazi Jews, the Sephardim, the Mizrahim, which is like you know, in term for Oriental Jews that emerged, like Iraqis, you have groups like Yemenis, you have Beni Israel from India, Beta Israel from Ethiopia, all of those, 90% of those non-European Jews actually do live in Israel. Like the, I think the main exception is, is France, where there are traditionally a lot of Sephardic Jews from North Africa that yeah. move there. But <laughs> a lot of them are also moving to Israel, but set that mm-hmm. aside. When you're talking about non-European Jews, Israel is where they live. Right. When you're talking about European Jews, Israel is one of the places they live. Yeah, that's true. No, I, I think I think what you're touching on is just the fact that for a lot of people in America, uh, for for an example, the Jews that they will know on the street will be white, and also the Jews that they will see in media or will be white, and also the Jews that they will see for, I mean. It, Israel is a is a wonderful place, but it has problems like anywhere else. And one of them is, uh, you know, um, ethnic bias or, or discrimination. So a lot of the more uh, Ashkenazim tend to be sort of they tend to sit at a, at a higher echelon of society. So a lot sure. of the actors, a lot of the the politicians, you know, if people do look at Israel. Uh, even if you do pick up a newspaper or you look at the political leaders, you look at like you know Netanyahu or others. Then also you're going to see Israelis who who look European, and so if you didn't know any better, uh, if you didn't actually go to Israel, let's say you live in New York or something, you could come away with the incredibly ignorant perspective that uh, Jews are white, basically, that Israelis are white. Um, I think that yeah. might be part of what's happening yeah. here. Yeah, the interesting thing is, you know, um, well, it's not interesting, but I mean, it's just like true. Uh, you know, I've had um, acquaintances that are Israeli, um, not, nobody I know personally very closely, but, you know, more brownish, uh, you know, Jews, like Iraqi or Yemeni background type people, where uh, they've been false positive uh, in Israel sometimes for Arabs. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just because, like, you know, people aren't always checking IDs and always talking to people. They see them. And, you know, and there are Ashkenazi people who also, there are Ashkenazi, uh, I have Ashkenazi friends who look Middle Eastern, like there's a whole range. Yeah, right. So um, when you're just talking about physically this whole, so I think when you're talking about that the Jews and the Israelis are white, um, this is what the critical race theory people would call political race. They are politically white. So there are, I mean, when you look at, um, when you look at um, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, you know, and like a lot of, you know, I have Palestinian friends, like they, they run the range. Some of them are, some of them have like clear African ancestry, but some of them are very, very white. Someone like Mahmoud Abbas is like no more brown than any Ashkenazi Jew. He's very fair skinned and white. And so the two groups overlap a lot. Uh, they're not that physically distinctive. Um, and then, of course, like the blackest people in Israel are the Beta Israel, Ethiopian Jews that are about like 2% of Jews, which is, I mean, that's not trivial. That's like one out of 50 Jews in Israel is literally African. Um, and so that is the reality. Um, and you know, one thing that I'll say about the statistics, they're hard to kind of find because you can have statistics that people are born in Russia. So, you know, something like 10% or Russian Jews or whatever, right. uh, less than 10%. But the thing is, is like, if you're, um, so I let Shaked was in, I think the last government, her dad is Iraqi and her mom is Ashkenazi. And so people like this, um, what does that even mean? I mean, they're Sabras, they're native Israelis. 
they're not of a combination that has traditionally existed. Um, they're just Jewish. And also, you know, until recently, most of the people actually um, that were part Ashkenazi, part non-Ashkenazi, they would actually say that they're Ashkenazi if they had to pick because that was a more prestigious, mm. you know, founding stock of right. Israel. I'm not sure if that matters as much now. Uh, my Jewish friends in Israel, uh, you know, most of them are Ashkenazi, but not all. But, like, you know, they just talk about, like, their families are mixed now, and it's just everyone speaks Hebrew, so... You know, unless you're Russian, maybe. I mean, it's. Um, I don't it's, have a it's lot a of. It's a different culture now. It's yeah. not like Ashkenazi Sephardi. These, these don't have the same meaning in Israel that they used to. I don't have a lot of experience here, but uh, I, I can say, anecdotally at least, that I noticed that the. Um, the the identity issues that we're discussing are maybe there's a bit of uh, what you might call white privilege or something because I noticed that a lot of my Ashkenazi friends in Israel the, they didn't really bring up the issue very much it's not something that they talked about casually but uh, the friend I mentioned earlier uh, who's very dark and several other friends I have um, who I met through him he lives in a different part of the city and there's a lot more brown people basically and it was much more a part of the conversation there was more of an awareness of their identity as Mizrahim, as as sort of like what that means in society and the things they have to deal with. It's it's very much like in America where you hang out with a bunch of white people. They're not going to talk about their whiteness that much, but you hang out with a bunch of black people and, and it's going to come up more often and they're going to talk about what that means for them. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. that yeah. – yeah. So if you're – if so it's not really an issue – uh, depending on what community you're, you're or what circle of friends you're hanging out with. That's my anecdotal experience anyway. Um, yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask you, okay, so, all right, that, that's a pretty good sort of map of the situation, I think, for people to understand. Uh, so looking back um, at the, uh, so, okay, so the Ashkenazim, they come from here, the Mizrahim, let's talk about the Mizrahim and let's compare, because they're the, they're the ones that I guess we would say are the, the native uh, Middle Eastern Jews, right? Uh, and let's let's talk, have a conversation about their their sort of like a genetic background and how that might compare to the other group who claim to be the natives of the exact same area, um, the Palestinians. And so, like, do we have any evidence for sort of understanding where these two groups come from or what their genetic makeup looks like and how it compares to each other and et cetera? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what you need to do is um, have a reference point. And the reference point people usually do is Canaanites. Um, mm-hmm. To the Hebrews themselves, I mean, even though in the Bible they're made to be very distinct, um, most uh, you know archeo- archaeologically and historically oriented people presume that the ancient Hebrews came out of the Canaanites. Um, even, I mean, even some of the names of God are cognates of Canaanite names, like like El and Baal. Um, mm-hmm. In any case, um, so we have Canaanite samples. And so what you want to do is compare the Canaanites to these modern populations. Um, it's kind of like a stylized fact um, that basically if you take a sample from 3,500 years ago, so 1,500 B.C., um, and there are real samples that are around this age, um, and you compare it to people in the modern area, if they don't have a lot of exogenous ans- new ancestry, like from the Islamic period, like they're not part black, which a lot of people are now, um, about like 75% of their ancestry is going to be Canaanite. So that means there's like 25% new stuff that came in since about like 1500 BC. Right? Okay, yeah, right. Um, and so that's how you need to think about it. And um, a classical case would be, I don't know, like some uh, Lebanese from the mountains of Lebanon, um, Lebanese Christians, like that, like religious minorities like Mizrahi, um, Christians, Druze, um, other groups like that, uh, that are kind of um, isolated, endogamous, they tend to preserve what the Middle East was like, 
um, more than 2,000 years ago. Um, there were some changes during the Roman period, and then a lot of changes during the Islamic period. And so those groups changed a lot. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the way that I... So in terms of the Mizrahim, you know, which is, I think, kind of a, a new name, um, and they used to have their own liturgy, but um, the Iraqis, uh, for example, replaced it with a Sephardic liturgy from Syria. And the Syrian Jews actually were distinct from the Sephardi before the Sephardi came during the, the Spanish period, right? Or expulsion. But in any case, um, these all these groups are part of, you know, the Dimi populations, you could say, of the Middle East, the religious minorities, and they're kind of frozen in place. Like, they can't own slaves, um, they obviously cannot intermarry with Muslims, et cetera, et cetera. So if you look at a Muslim from Lebanon versus a Christian, they're actually very similar, but here's the big difference. Or here's the consistent difference. The Muslims will often have a little bit of African or Eastern Asian ancestry, and so this is like you know, black slaves, um, Turkish slaves, Turkish soldiers, these sorts of things. In their genome, they're more they're more cosmopolitan. When you look at the Christian, you just like subtract all of these exotic components, and they look much more pure Middle Eastern. Hmm. Not totally, but much closer to that, right? Okay. Um, and so, like, if you look at Christian Palestinians, they are probably pretty close to, um, not pure, but they are close to, like, pretty good, like, proxies for the ancient Canaanites. Again, a minority of their ancestors is going to be new. There's going to be stuff from during the Roman period, probably a little stuff during the Crusader period. Mm, interesting. Um, stuff like that, you yeah. know? I mean, that just happens normally. Um, with the Mizrahim, um, there is a, uh, Iraqis, and um, the two biggest Mizrahi communities are obviously Iraqis and the Persian Jews. Um, and they're somewhat distinct. Um, they're related to each other, but they're somewhat distinct. The Persian Jews just like are clearly derived originally, we know, from the Babylonian community, so they have common ancestry. But um, they're separate just because they speak different languages. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Iraqi Jews used to speak Arabic, obviously. They used to be. But people used to call them Arab Jews. <laughs> they don't, they, there's no such thing anymore. Right. Um, because whatever, but um, in any case, so the Iraqis like they look a lot genetically like groups like Syrians, uh, Assyrians, Syrian Christians, uh, groups like that. So um, and Palestinian Christians, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, if you had to like um, compare all the Jews and the Arabs, and <laughs> excuse me, I mean, I can, I haven't like, I've done a little bit of this, so I'm not like speaking totally out of like my ass here. Um, it's like the, the Palestinian Christians are probably going to cluster closer to the Mizrahi Jews mm. uh, than any of the other Jewish populations. The Mizrahi Jews probably will cluster closer to the Palestinian Christians. I mean, they will. I mean, actually, no. I'm not going to say probably. I know they will cluster closer to Palestinian Christians mm-hmm. than they will to Ashkenazi Jews and also Sephardic Jews. Sephardic Jews are similar to Ashkenazi Jews, and they have like. They're, they're different, obviously, genetically, but, you know, they were in Spain. They have, like, that ancestry. So you're saying... And they were also, they were also in Morocco, most of them. Um, and they, so they have a little bit of Berber Jewish ancestry, too. Mm. But so anyway. You're saying that the... You're saying that Middle Eastern Jews, Mizrahim, are closer to other um, pure Middle Easterners of the of this specific region. They're closer to that than they are to other Jews from other parts of the world. Well, yeah. So, I mean... You know, and I've written on this about that's right. not that okay. radical a statement. I mean, you wouldn't. <laughs> that's not that radical a statement, right? Because you wouldn't expect that, like yeah. German Jews would would be genetically that close to you know Middle Eastern Jews. I just, I, but I I say it because I think some people might actually think otherwise. Some people might actually think like all Jews are sort of like one ethnic group, right? And so it's well, I mean, so that's the settler colonial discourse, right? I think that's what you're alluding to. 
because um, you know if you can say that they're all European, they're all white, they're all settler colonialists, then you reject indigeneity and you say like the Arabs are the ones, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, Iraqi Jews are a native people of the Near East, um, you know, and there were actually, I mean, as you know, there were Jews that lived continuously in Palestine. The whole period, there was just a very small community during the late, you know, the late Ottoman period. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were Jews in Syria forever, in Damascus. Um, I mean, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's half Syrian Jew. His mom's a Syrian Jew. Mm, right. So, yeah, they're all over the place. But, um, you know, groups like this, I mean, they're just a native Middle Eastern population, like Syrian Christians, like Maronites, uh, like Chaldeans, Assyrians, Mandians, who aren't Muslim, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, they don't have the cosmopolitanism of the Muslim populations, but, um, you know, they're just like what they were during the Roman period. That's the, that's the way that I can think of it. So they've changed a little. Um, from the Canaanites, but majority of their ancestry is Canaanite. Hmm. When it comes to the Ashkenazim, they're not the sense of converts purely, but um, the best models that we have is they're about 40% Middle Eastern of the same rough stock okay. as the other Dimi groups, um, and then 60% of their ancestry is European. Of that 60%, I'll give you like 40% is like Italian, um, and 20% is you know German or Slav. You know, mm-hmm. so what you can think about the Sephardim, they're very similar, except remove the German and Slav. And then because so many of the Sephardim, not the Turkish Sephardim, but all the others, I think they often they went through Morocco and the Moroccan Jews, they have some um, they have some Berber ancestry and stuff like that. So that's really evident in their in their ancestry. You can see that they're, they're Berber shifted. OK, interesting. And so now let's turn the page to um Palestinian population, the non-Christian, <clears throat> the, the uh, Muslim Palestinian population, or, and my first question, I guess, is, are there um, significant differences between West Bank and Gazans, or are they um, essentially the same? So, I mean, I have samples, the HGDP, Human Genome Diversity Project, has, I think, Gaza sample, or no, West Bank samples, but um, my understanding is, um, like, I haven't, like, confirmed this, but my understanding is there are differences um, known among Palestinians. So uh, just because of where Gaza is, um, like obviously a lot of these people are refugees, but they're refugees from like the more southerly parts of Israel and stuff like that. So Israel, or let's just call it Israel-Palestine. Okay, I don't want to be like controversial. I don't really care. I mean, honestly, I don't care what you call it, right? You know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Israel-Palestine. Okay. So this region, there is variation. So there's a lot of people that live um, in around Galilee, that area, Nazareth, a lot of Arab Christians. Then you have the south. Um, Gaza was part of Egypt, um, you know, after the 48 war. But a lot of the people in Gaza, they're refugees from what they call the Nakba, Nakba right? When they were left or were kicked out of, um, of Israel proper. And so Gazans on the whole, um, and, I, you know, I have, I, have, I have some friends that are Palestinian. Gazans on the whole tend to be, um, you know... You know, their society has been more fucked up. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so like, they have lower social status than people on the West Bank. Um, I think that they do tend to be genetically, like, uh, they tend to be more like Egyptians, tend to have, like, more connections to Egypt and the West. Whereas, you know, you have some of these communities, like, in Nazareth um, and in the northern West Bank that are very, very Levantine and that probably have really, really strong continuity. Um, that's my impression. But I only have samples, I think, from the West Bank. I, I haven't seen... Gazan Arab samples, uh, but in any case, um, we always have to say 
<laughs> Gaza is a lot of the people in Gaza are not like natives of Gaza. Um, their families lived in other parts of Israel Palestine before forty eight. Hmm. Do we know where? Uh, I, I think they're mostly from like the, the south, south southern areas and the coast, south of Jaffa, and the and the, and, and the southern areas. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, obviously, uh, people in northern Israel that left. So there's a, a pocket around Nazareth of like I think it's about fifty percent Arab still. A lot of those are Christian, but not the majority. Um, I'm a friend from Nazareth. Um, in Galilee area um, that are Israeli Arab dominated, but uh, there's also a lot of people that left that area and they went to the northern West Bank. That's what mm-hmm. I have been told. So the northern West Bank, like north of Jerusalem, all those towns in the north, mm-hmm. um, those tend to have people who you know, left the northern part of Israel. A lot of them also went to Jordan, obviously. All and right. then I think people in Hebron in the south, um, the southern part of the West Bank, which is less populated, um, would be more likely to go to Gaza. But they just went to where it was close. And then obviously the coastal area south of Jaffa, um, they would go more towards Gaza, I think. So the Gazans, so the, the relationship between the Gazans uh, and Egyptians, this would be simply because, the, I mean, the fact that Gazans have some degree of, of, of Egyptian genetic makeup is simply because they live so close and they've been there for a while. Yeah, and they've... That area, yeah, that area has had, had connections to Egypt actually back in the Bronze Age, hmm. right? So those cities, like that's, that is old Philistia, by the way. That is literally old Philistia, that region. Um, that's where the Philistines uh, lived and that, was, that has had connections to Egypt that far back. So um, I think that that's one of the reasons where if, you, if I had to... Again, like if, if there were native Gazans, I'm assuming that they're going to be somewhat Egyptian shifted. Mm-hmm. The main confound is a lot of the people in Gaza, the majority, I think, uh, do not descend from people that were native to the area in 1948. What do you mean by that? They're descendants of refugees. Refugees from Hebron, or not Hebron, because Hebron is Palestinian, but, but refugees from like areas that are adjacent in southern Israel right now. Mm. So Israel before 67. So right. Israel before, uh, between 48 and 67, <laughs> a lot of the Arabs, like that, I think uh, in the mandate, in the partition, um, from what I remember in 48, the uh, Israel, the Israeli part was about half Jewish, half Arab. And, uh, you know, after the expulsion and the fleeing of a lot of the refugees, mm-hmm. uh, it was like closer to like, you know, 80, 20. Right. Mm. So where did all of those people go? Uh, they went to Jordan. They went to the West Bank. And they went to Gaza. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So uh, the so a lot of the people that are coming, a lot of people in Gaza now are not from Gaza, but the ones that are native to Gaza are uh, e- Egyptian Palestinian, essentially. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't call them Egyptian, but they definitely have a closer connection to Egypt and that connection mm. to Egypt is not just a function of politics after 48 when it was part of Egypt. Right. That connection to Egypt goes back to like New Kingdom Egypt. When that, when that when, region what, was okay. uh, closely connected economically to the northern mm-hmm. Delta. Okay, so why wouldn't you call them Egyptian Palestinian? Because there's not enough uh, genetic makeup to, to – there's not a significant degree or <clears throat> what is the yeah, reason? Yeah, I mean I, I think um, – they were never i mean so egypt has even like back to ancient egypt but also uh into you know the mamaluk period uh egypt has had hegemony or rule over parts of the levant 
so you know the whole whole area between Antioch and Ashkelon or whatever, right? Um, that whole coastal area and then the in- interior mm. uh, on and off, but it was never inter- they were never integrated into Egypt proper. Uh, they right. all retained their own local identities. Broadly, they were like Syriac or Syrian or Aramean or whatever. Mm. Um, and so I don't think that I mean that area was not Coptic speaking, was not Egyptian speaking to my to my knowledge. It was it was Aramaic speaking, and then eventually it became Arabic speaking. So the distinction between Egyptians and non-Egyptians in that area linguistically is now much smaller than it was before Islamicization. Before mm-hmm. Islamicization, you had a boundary between people that spoke Egyptian and a people that spoke Aramaic. Right. And that was an Aramaic-speaking region. So I would, I would hesitate uh, to uh, call it, uh, you know, them Egyptian uh, Palestinians or anything like that because Egyptian. Most of the Arab countries, to be candid, have like a very, very weak national identity. Egypt is the exception, and there's a lot of weird. Not, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say weird. Wait, most, most, what has a, a weak national identity? What did you say? Most of the Arab countries, like Iraq, okay. uh, have have weak national identities. Like, so Sunni Arabs, a lot of these Arabs are very, very tribal. You know, they have tribal identities. They have sectarian identities. Yes, they do speak Arab, but but um, but they're not really. Iraqi is not their first identity, okay? I got it, Egypt, yep. Egypt is the exception <laughs> in the Arab world. Um, even though they speak Arabic, they have a distinct, you know, type of Arabic, but mm-hmm. there's also aspects of Egyptian culture um, that are distinct from other Arabs that go back to ancient Egypt. So even today, the Egyptian necropoli, uh, you know, like, they're, they're um, you know, they've always been really focused on burials, as we know, with mummies and stuff. And they mm. still actually continue to be like that um, uh, compared to the rest of the Islamic world. So there's continuity. Also, Egyptians are not tribal. Um, you know, Egyptians of the Nile River Valley are farmers. They're village people. They don't have a like, connection to Arab tribes like a lot of the other places in the Fertile Crescent, for example, to their east. Um, so my point is Egypt has a clear and distinct identity. And my understanding and knowledge is that the people of Palestine, whatever their religion or affiliation, yeah. have always been distinct from that clear and distinct clear identity right yeah um the the connection the the, uh the uh the line between uh palestinian and jordanian for example is much fuzzier um the jordanians you know the native jordanians quote unquote the bedouin tribals they are distinct from the palestinians um but uh you know they're both um you know arab speaking people of the levant that that's a much that's a much fuzzier distinction to the Mm. point where it's like you know queen rania of of Jordan, he she is an ethnic Palestinian. That's just not that big of a deal, right? Whereas in Egypt, um, yeah, you know, I think it would have been be, would be a bigger deal. Although Egypt itself, it's not a, it's not a conversation about Egypt, but Egypt itself has groups that descend from Turks, Circassians, some Arabs, Albanians uh, that were part of its like Mameluk era nobility right. um, when Napoleon conquered the country. So Egypt itself has its own like ethnic diversity and it has its own specific self identity, right? Mm-hmm. So then, okay, <clears throat> that's a really good description of uh, sort of the Egyptian history and Egyptian identity. What is the best way then to to break down and think about um, Palestinian identity uh, if without just simply using the word Palestinian? Not because I'm I'm trying to dismiss the identity of uh, or the behind Palestinian, but because I think we you know I'm trying to get behind what what, what the what it means to be Palestinian. Um, now you're saying that there's a um, 
you know, the, there's a there's a little bit of like a shift toward Egyptian and Gaza, but that's not, you know, we shouldn't overemphasize that. But there's a fuzzy, there's a sort of a fuzzy relation with Jordanian. So are Palestinians genetically sort of uh, Palestinians and Jordanians are sort of kind of this, this, I don't want to say the same people, but cousins or, or you know, is that yeah. is that the stronger relationship there? Yeah, so what I would say is, um, this is my understanding, so Arab nationalism, like the reason Pan-Arabism emerged is because most of these nations don't have a strong identity. What they have, what people have is, they're Arabs, they're Muslims, or sometimes, you know, they're Orthodox Christians, Jacobite Christians, whatever, Um, and then uh, they are like, they are inhabitants of their particular city, their town, Um, they have tribes, like these sorts of things. But, um, you know, before the 20th century, they never thought, I'm Jordanian, you know, because that was just like, what is Transjordan? It's like their lines on the map. You look at Jordan, you can see, right? And so um, Syria, Syrians like claim Lebanon to a great extent. Lebanon was pulled off of Syria um, just because it, you know, it used to be majority Christian and, you know, the French protected it that way, whatever. Um, Syrians are not wrong that Lebanon was not its own independent country. It was just part of greater Syria. Um, similarly, Palestine, what is Israel-Palestine, that whole area is just a southern extension of Syria. And so you have Assyria, obviously, in the east, and then you have Syria in the west. And really, Syria culturally, ethnically, linguistically, etc., extends all down that coast. It's mm. Semitic-speaking. It used to be Aramaic-speaking. Um, they used to speak a Western... Western Aramaic, like Western Syriac, um, that language is dominant. It's Jesus Christ language, you know. Um, it was the dominant language in the area. Um, there used to be Greek minorities. They're like subtle details. So, for example, um, in the late Byzantine area, right before Islam, um, what, what we defined, what was defined was, you know, the province of Palestine. Um, its major distinctiveness compared to Egypt to the west, um, which obviously was not, uh, Semitic speaking anyway. Well, it, yeah, it wasn't Semitic speaking, but it was Afro-Asiatic because of Egyptian. And then um, the area to the north is that Palestine, the Christians there tended to be Melkite. Um, they tended to be Orthodox um, in in alliance with Constantinople, while the Christians of like Damascus, um, Antioch, um, coastal Lebanon, and then the Christians in northern Egypt, in Egypt, um, they tended not to be uh, loyal to Constantinople. They had their own ideas, like, you know, they were called Monophysites, whatever. So that's the origin of the Jacobite Church um, in Syria, um, which is in communion with the Coptic Church in Egypt. So Palestine's distinction during that period was just that it was religiously uh, Orthodox, um, technically. I mean, it's a minority of the area, but it was in alignment with the empire. Um, but it was not linguistically distinct. It was not nationally distinct. Um, it, it, it was a province of the Byzantine Empire. Hmm. But people, you know, were not like, oh, I'm Palestinian as opposed to Syrian or whatever. It's, uh, I, you know, I am a Orthodox Christian. I'm a Melkite Christian from Jerusalem or Ashkelon, uh, these coastal cities, right? Um, or I'm a Jacobite Christian from Damascus. Um, and they're all Aramaic speaking, and they can all speak to each other. And then what obviously happened um, is during the early modern period or late modern period, European nationalism shows up, spreads everywhere. And, you know, they just started like, so Syria goes to France. Um, I think Transjordan went to Britain. I mean, everyone knows the story here, right? Everyone knows what really happened. What happened is Europeans during Sykes, Pico, and other, they just divided up the map. 
Right. Uh, they took some Ottoman provinces to beat them up. But like these Ottoman provinces did not necessarily correspond in any way uh, to real national identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, those national identities were created later. And this is why they installed Hashemites in Jordan, um, Hashemites in Iraq. Uh, they wanted to give the monarchs, they wanted to give them you know, kings, like right. dynasties, to like create a national identity um, that didn't exist. Um, so again, as I said, like Egypt is kind of the exception here in the region. Um, because they ha- it had a national identity going mm-hmm. way back. Mm. Um, it's geographically very, very um, demarcated. Whereas, mm. you know, I mean, you can walk from Jerusalem, walk north to Damascus. It's like, I mean, what's the change? I mean, there's like some vegetation differences here and there, but you know, um, you know, the, the the West Bank and the East Bank, they're not that different. Um, right. You know, culturally in many ways, there's like you know, villagers on the East Bank, there's villagers on the West Bank. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So these are lines in the sand. Um, I think that it's become a big thing. My impression of like Palestinian identity because the emergence of Israeli Jewish identity. So you know they needed when, once the other became salient, they started developing their own identities. And, and as you may know, um, a lot of the original Arab nationalists uh, uh, were not even Muslim; they were Christian. Um, uh, you know, uh, Michael, uh, elite, I think Alif, but, um, you know, in, 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 in the Palestinian context, uh, some of the most radical nationalist group, the PFLP was co-founded by George Habash. He's, you know, from a Christian family, Orthodox Christian family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just like, you know, it, it, it was a national identity that emerged, uh, partly through dispossession, partly through, you know, conflict. Um, you know, as you know, a friend of mine would say, it was born in blood. Palestinian identity was born in blood. Uh, the emergence of this Jewish uh, identity. And again, you know, uh, we have the Ashkenazim, you know, we have like Native Middle Eastern Jews, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is a new identity that was created uh, with Hebrew in the 20th century. And so the Palestinian identity is created as a counterpoint. Um, this is not to say that they're not indigenous. They are like natives of this region. Many of them have lived there deep into the Ottoman period and clearly earlier. Uh, Palestinian Muslims are not as uh, connected to the Canaanites as the Christians, but that's mostly because they have contacts with you know, people in Arabia, uh, African ancestry, mm. some Turkic ancestry, et cetera, et cetera. But on the whole, they're similar to their you know Christian neighbors. They're not that different. So um, you know they are the indigenous people of Greater Palestine, Syria. Like they were there. Um, their ancestors were probably Jews at some point. Then they became Christians, and then they became Muslims. You know that's just what happens. So if uh, <clears throat> if um, European powers had not come in and uh, sort of redrawn or cut up the map, and the people had more or less just kept on where they were, and then uh, if a if nationalist sentiment had emerged from those native communities, what would that map look like? What what would that look like today without the European interference? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because, like, you know, the area is pretty diverse in Syria, and Syria and Lebanon in particular. But, I mean, I think if I had to, like, if I had um, to bet, I think organically there would have been some sort of geopolitical entity that goes from the Negev north to, um, you know, Cilicia, to southern Turkey. You know what I'm saying? Like, basically, right. Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, and Transjordan, they all make sense as a singular nation i think mm-hmm. they, they speak similar varieties of arabic 
Um, and, you know, the whole region has Muslims and Christians. You know, Syria is about like 10%, 10% Christian, but of its, of its Muslims, like another like 10, 15% are Alawite. You know, it, it has like a level of um, similar ethnic diversity. You know, in the early 20th century, 20% of Palestinian Arabs were Christian. A lot of them just immigrated. Or the and the fertility is low, but a lot of them really just immigrated, and so Palestine was as Christian as Syria was back then. Um, it's just that you know they left Arab Christians like left Palestine because for obvious reasons. Um, so I think you know that would be the natural geopolitical entity, some sort of Syria Palestine. Lebanon was created relatively recent itself, so that would be part of it. Um, and so you would have you know that sort of scenario play out. But what ended up happening is the Europeans, you know. The French wanted, you know, Syria and Lebanon. Um, the British got Palestine and Transjordan. They split the two up. And then, you know, the rest is history. I mean, mm. to this day, yeah. you know, Syrians are still somewhat affected by French culture. Um, and Lebanese, especially Maronite Christian Lebanese, like, they, you know, they're, they're very, very Francophone still. Hmm. That's interesting. Um... Wow, this is a that was this is a very fascinating conversation. Uh, is there any ground we didn't cover? Um, you know, I would say that uh, you know, because like BB brought up like you know the Canaanites and you know genetics and stuff. It's just like yeah. no one really cares about this. Like, if the genetic test showed that like the Palestinians are actually Chinese, and <laughs> the Jews are actually. I don't know, Congolese, like, would that change anything? Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting, but really a lot of the arguments that people make are kind of fake, um, in my opinion. So, you know, this idea that, yes, Israel was a colonial, was a settler colonial enterprise by European Jews trying to create a European Jewish country. That is 100% correct. A hundred years ago, like, you could just look at the history. What is Israel today in 2023? It's quite clearly um, a rather, um, I mean, it's quite Middle Eastern country. Um, Israeli food is Middle Eastern food. Uh, they speak Hebrew. Uh, and um, there's a lot of aspects of Israeli culture that are informed by Mizrahi and Sephardi that, that came from the Muslim world. And so it's not what it was, um, you know, and I think this is, this is something that's coming up in the conversation implicitly when you're asking, like, why are they white? Why are people saying they're white? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 100 years ago, it was much more plausible and accurate and true to the state of what things were. I mean, Israel was dominated by Jews from, you know, the Russian Empire, Poland, and, to, and uh, you know, Theodore Herschel himself was a German Jew. Uh, European Jews. It was a European enterprise, and they asked uh, for sponsorship from European powers. That's what it was. But that's not what it is now. Right. BB himself is Ashkenazi, but it's quite clear, in my opinion, that within the next generation, there will be a non-Ashkenazi prime minister, finally. You know, like, there have been some close calls. Yeah, but, no, I'm... Um, <clears throat> you know, there will be at, at some point. Probably there will be a prime minister who's someone like Ayelet Shaked, who's, you know, mixed. That's probably what it's going to be, really. Because yeah. it's, you know, whatever. But um, Israel is turning into a Middle Eastern country, which means that it's very deeply indigenous in a way. You know, like it is turning into just another country. Um, you know, the, the Haredi, uh, they're expanding as a proportion of the Jewry, of, of the Jewish population. Um, the Sephardic and the Mizrahi, 
you know, most of them are, you know, what we would kind of call modern Orthodox. I mean, Masradi, it's not really modern Orthodox, but whatever. It, it, it's not the secular, socialist, kibbutz people that Israel was in 1948. The country has been transformed in the last 70 years. And um, what it is today is not what it was. And I think people need to acknowledge that. Um, you know, sometimes on the Jewish side, you have the idea like, oh, you know, like God gave us that this land. We are like the true blah, 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 all this stuff. Look, nobody gives a fuck about this. Like, yeah, if you're an evangelical <laughs> Christian and you're a Jew, maybe, but like no one else cares. Okay, I, I don't fucking care. No one cares, you know? Because um, you took the land from the Canaanites, like it's in your Bible, you know? Mm. So like, what, what's going to happen? Like some of the Palestinians and the Lebanese, they say, we're descended from the Canaanites. And they say that specifically to like what up the Jews. This is all retarded, you know? Um, actually, you're descended from the same people. The Canaanites are the ancestors of the Jews. It's just the Jews are people who, you know, became monotheists among the Canaanites, and they decided to, like, you know, create a separate identity. But a lot of these conversations about genetics are kind of like, uh, not even wrong, because all these groups are very similar. And, you know, in the ancient period, they were all converting to each other's religion and switching. Like, you can see it in the Bible. A lot of the Jews uh, reverted to polytheism and to, like, you know, their, their local Semitic paganism periodically. It was like a, a recurrent problem. So, um, you know, who's a Jew, who's a Gentile, like, all of these things, like, they don't, really work in the same way two or three thousand years ago so the questions of deep roots like don't really play into it because everyone has them you know yeah it's the same it's the talking the talking point response to when people bring up uh um you know who who's indigenous who was here first and it's uh one of the points that i often hear is like we're here now like what do you <laughs> it's all very good and it's and, and yeah, i find yeah i mean we're, we're here now we have this situation now we have the situation with israel and, and, and gaza and the west bank now like you you're not gonna I, I i i find it endlessly fascinating to understand the history of the people involved and the the genetics is an aspect that i um i never understood but uh yeah when it comes to to sort of like the 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 debate over who's more uh, deeply from the region or who has a right or it's like, well, I mean, even if you could win the debate, which you can't, but if you could, like, whatever, we're here now. What are we going to like? This is the real question, not the this is something that I think, you know, uh, try. I mean, the, only, the only way that you're going to get rid of Jews from Israel is you know how. OK. Yeah. That's, I mean, so, it, you know, is that what you want? Do you want genocide? I don't know. I don't know. What, is, is that really what you want? The only way you're going to get rid of Palestinians, of Palestinian Arabs from Israel-Palestine, from the West Bank and Gaza, you know how. Okay? So, I mean, it's, like, trivial for me to say, but, like, let's just say it, right? Like, all of these questions about indigeneity, federal colonial, oh, the Arabs didn't really live there, they moved there during the Ottoman period, all this stuff, doesn't really matter. What really matters is, like, are you going to do genocide? Okay, if you're not going to do genocide... What are you going to do? Exactly. And, I mean, you know, that that's what the argument that we're having for, like, you know, since Camp David Accords. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, although, I mean, although I would simply add that it seems like maybe there are some people who would say, yeah, genocide. Yeah, that is what that is what I have in mind. So <laughs> that's something to keep in mind. But for everybody else in the room, uh, yeah, you know, I go back to saying we're here now. So, like, uh, you know. What are we going to do? Let's figure this out. But um, the, uh, I mean, what we're seeing now, what we've seen in the West, I mean, this is a completely different conversation, but like the, 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 you know, 
rewind one month and I would have said, what do you, what do you, what do you want, genocide? Of course not. So let's, let's have the real conversation. Fast forward to now and I would say, what do you want, genocide? Oh, you do. Okay. So, <laughs> so now we have to have a different conversation. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so, okay. You know, I've been following this a little. I don't, like, I'm not, maybe I'm not in touch with the youth. Like, I assume a lot of them don't know what they're saying. Which youth? Do you mean in the West or you mean in Gaza or what do you? No, I mean, I know what they're saying in Gaza and I know what they want. Like, so, I mean, just candidly. You mean like Western I, protesters who are like pro-Palestinian sort of? Yeah, when they say like from the, from, from the, you know, river to the sea. I mean, do they, I don't really think that they totally have internalized like what they're trying to say. I it's mean, both. I'm, I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying like. I have a hard time believing they actually. It's, who knows? It's both. It's both. I can tell you. I mean, I can't tell you the sort of uh, the 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 ratio. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't seen any data to suggest like how many of these sort of woke leftists are you know are just just virtue signaling and saying you know. I think a lot of them are saying these things because they truly believe that they are fighting the good fight, that they're fighting for the oppressed, that this is, you know, that it's just a matter of like white colonial, white colonizers who are oppressing completely innocent uh, Palestinians. And they see it like that. And so they obviously are going to take the side of the underdog of the Palestinians. I I used to think that way, actually, uh, before I lived in Israel. And so like it was very like that. That's one way of viewing it. And that's and so they don't really fully when they say these things, they don't really mean like I'm pro uh, murder. They just mean I'm pro freedom and I'm anti-oppression. However, uh, I've also met uh, I've also met people who know full well what they're saying and they they'll make arguments one of the one of the arguments i've heard is they'll analogize it to rape and they'll say well if you're if someone is being raped and they fight back and they kick back and they end up like cutting you or like what whatever they do to get free even though it's like something that you would normally not excuse they might even stab you but that's okay in this circumstance and that's the argument they use like yeah the, you know what hamas is do- doing is like normally i would be against these horrific atrocities but since they're being so horribly oppressed, they can they pretty much have a license to do anything and everything to get. I've I've heard people make this argument like they they can mm. just they can do anything. And so yes, I'm aware. I've seen the news reports. I'm aware of the atrocity, but um, that's I mean, okay. Yeah, I will say. Um, I don't really talk about this sort of stuff that much. It's like whatever you know. I don't have to <laughs> contribute, but uh, you know, uh, I mean, the issue is like they're not committing. I mean, look. Uh, Gaza for a long time had one of the highest fertility rates in the world because they got so much UN uh, UN help um, with like so they lowered their infant mortality. I mean, it was like had lower infant mortality than like Bangladesh, where my family's from, yeah. and it's because of all the NGOs. So they're not committing that sort of genocide on the Gazans. So I get why they're pissed. Uh, they're in a refugee camp. They're in a massive refugee camp. On the other hand, they're not committing that sort of genocide. And so to me, like, there's not. You know, I can't like if their children were being murdered by Israeli IDF people regularly, like what happened in the Warsaw Ghetto when they took all the children right um, from the parents and exterminated them. Right. Um, okay, like I'm not saying I justify like you know atrocities that Hamas did, but okay, I got it. Like it's a reflex, it's a reaction. Like you killed my kids, I'm gonna kill your kid. That is actually that is a thing that that happens. Like during World War II. One of the reasons that all the Germans, German women on the Eastern Front were were raped uh, by the Russian armies 
is because during the German occupation of 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 Soviet Union, um, rape and murder was totally allowed um, by by the Germans. Like they they would just like rape and they would murder yeah. the women after they raped them. Like I mean, there's their documentation just because like you know they're not supposed to be like doing that, so they just murdered them. You know, so mm. the Soviets were doing payback. I'm not justifying it, but that's a reflexive reaction, and that's one of the reasons that nobody talks about it because i mean what are the germans going to say like because if, if the germans like make a big deal about it today and a lot of those women are dying now because they're old but um you know the, the, the russians would bring up okay, what happened during the occupation and then you know they have you know what happened during the occupation well anyway my point is like that sort of shit happens i get that kind of but what hamas did i don't think i mean those children that they shot in the head i mean Obviously, guys and children. I mean, there's collateral damage, so you know. I don't know. It's a different conversation, but I do yeah. think it's different. But that's no, different. yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Well. Uh... <laughs> it's a completely different conversation and maybe we shouldn't just jump into it now. But uh, it's been a fascinating conversation with regard to uh, the genetics. I, it's just something that I never understood. So um, it looks like we're, 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 we'll are we wrap up right on the hour. So, um, but thank you for the information. I think it's, uh, I mean, I think especially now it's something that everybody, I, again, I think it's worth reiterating that it doesn't, it doesn't answer any of the questions that it doesn't like it's not something that people can bring into the kind of arguments that they might be tempted to bring it into but it is fascinating information to understand the region just as it is fascinating to understand the history but again i also wouldn't use yeah. the history to be like oh look if you look at this point in history this sort of like proves it and therefore like therefore what like therefore one of these two groups has to like uh flee or something or go back to europe or or move in with egypt or i mean it doesn't either way it doesn't make any sense like i said before we're here now like there has to be a, a, a different solution but anyway yeah uh the, the um yeah um thanks again for the conversation it's always a pleasure to talk to you for sure man Take it easy, David. yeah man